Welcome to the Solana Podcast. I'm Austin Federa, filling in as guest host today. Uh, we spend a lot of time on the show talking to founders and builders in the space, people building on the Solana blockchain or otherwise involved in the Solana ecosystem. But today we're actually going to be talking about a different component, which is the Solana Foundation. So today with us we have Dan, who's the executive director of the Solana Foundation. We have Lily, who's the president of the Solana Foundation, and Mabel, who's one of the board members of the Solana Foundation. Welcome to the Solana Podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Thank you. All right, Dan, let's uh, let's start out with, with you. Tell, tell me a little bit about what the Solana Foundation's role is in the ecosystem. You know, the, the foundation is really here to help foster the growth of the Solana network and really the Solana ecosystem, really kind of in, in broad strokes at the highest level. What can we do to make sure that the Solana network continues to grow in the most kind of sustainable and decentralized manner as possible? And how can we provide resources and help the community grow to onboard the next or the first billion users to the Solana ecosystem and crypto in general? Lily, what what uh, attracted you to the Solana Foundation and how did you get involved in it? Well, uh, I've been in the crypto ecosystem for a little bit. Um, and I must confess that uh, in 2018, 2019, I actually spent a good bit of time being a Bitcoin maxi. And then I even, you know, was part of the little Bitcoin book. Um, and which is not to say, you know, sometimes I feel like people in crypto are a little bit, you know, maybe too tribal. Um, which is not to say I don't love Bitcoin. I still consider Bitcoin to be king. Um, but uh, when I, um, I took a little bit of time out of crypto, when I came back to crypto, I started just using a lot of the apps that had sort of emerged out of DeFi summer. And I was totally floored by using Radium in April. I really could not stop talking about it for just about a month because uh, it was, you know, very squarely Web3, um, but it felt like Web2. And it was just so obvious to me at that moment that um, this was going to be how the next billion people, if we were going to get a billion people into crypto anytime soon, it was going to be on Solana. Um, and, you know, there's uh, Solana to me is just such a unique combination of um, being technically so innovative, but at the same time, really understanding that to bring people into the ecosystem and have to be a good experience, right? And sometimes for your end user, it really just is as simple as saying, you know, it's fast and cheap. And, you know, that's why Ethernet is better than 56K modems. And sometimes it just has to be that simple to the end user if you're going to appeal to a billion people. So Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. There's been uh, so many of those moments I've sort of heard over the last year of people just trying something on Solana and having this experience of, oh, it just works. It's fast. It, it feels like a Web2 application, but it's delivered in a fully decentralized way. Just based on that, like, what was the decision in, in your mind to, you know, tons of people have that experience, they go build something, they go work for a company building in the space in terms of like a service provider company. What was the sort of appeal of, of something that's more at the foundation level? To me, um, I think that, uh, you know, I come from a background where I spent a lot of time. I originally started working off in you know, more traditional industries. I worked at McKinsey. I worked at KKR. Um, and uh, and I kind of fell into Bitcoin back in 2013, 2014, which at the time was like a, you know, not like a very obvious thing to do. Um and so for me, I think um, one of the things that I maybe add to the ecosystem is, um, you know, helping run effective organizations, right? And thinking about sort of how to scale, um, you know, a commercial kind of go-to-market strategy um, and, uh, you know, having been in the ecosystem for a little bit. Um, and so, you know, for me, what I, what's always really attracted to me to, um, to crypto and Web3 is these kind of new, um, ultimately end user experiences that you can enable for not just, you know, those of us who've been, uh, 
you know, kind of nerding out over, you know, technical sort of minutia left and right, right? But uh, really making that accessible and available, right? So, you know, some of the things that I'm really excited about um, uh, facilitating through the foundation is kind of new markets growth um, outside of the U.S., outside of Europe, um, outside of the parts of East Asia that are already very familiar with cryptocurrency. Um, and to me, it's so, you know, clear that if these types of applications, call it DeFi or um, sort of more metaverse or social or NFTs are going to take hold, then it's most likely going to start on Solana first. Uh, and so just being a part of that and sort of making that more accessible to a broader array of people is really what's exciting to me. And Mabel, you uh, tell us a little bit about your your path to becoming a board member at the Solana Foundation. So I think among all the people here, I probably joined the board the earliest. I, I joined when the board started, like the foundation started. My That kind of history just go back to when I think before the token launch of Solana um, happened to that Anatoly and Raj, they were in, in China and in East Asia. And then that was even before my time joining Multicoin. So I met them, you know, obviously, you know, at that point it was 2019. And then, you know, it wasn't re- really easy to raise, raise funds for sure. But then like we kind of just happened to hang out a lot in Shanghai, in Seoul, I think another places like Beijing and whatever. And then we spent a, a bunch of time over those like three three weeks and then talked about, oh, how do I think about, or how do we usually think about go-to-market strategies for public chains? And then how do people really differentiate one smart contract from the other? So you, when they go back to San Francisco, they ask like, can you maybe write us some sort of expansion or kind of go-to-market plan for Solana in East Asia? And I did that. That was like right around the time when they're forming a board for this foundation and then you know that's also around the time like when i joined uh, multicoin so like they invited us like you know since like, you're part of the ecosystem and then you're pretty you know, unique kind of position compared to some of the other board members are you interested to kind of help solana foundation or raising the solana awareness like in a global sense so i was like oh that was really interesting in a different differentiated way to contribute to the ecosystem so i said yes since then that was like start of 2020 right um since then over now um i've been doing quite a bit of things you know always related to those lines you know raising the um, awareness for solana in china specifically because like that's where i'm sitting and also um, in some other places in asia and also try to you know just kind of talk to different projects um in multiple different ecosystem and obviously now it's like a multi-chain world and then people would have like different trade-offs like going and choose different things but you know when they learn about solana and learn about you know why you know they're optimizing certain things in the design like they're always like willing to try it because like back in 2020 there aren't that many people know about it i think you know the, the first step really is just to having people understand how the system works and whatnot so i've been doing quite a bit of those yeah i think that's kind of my experience involved with solana foundation and and Dan, as you kind of think about you know your your role as this sort of executive director at the Solana Foundation, how do you define scope for an organization like that? What what are the sort of things you're thinking about when you're thinking about initiatives that the foundation is engaging in, or things the foundation is not doing and shouldn't be doing, in your view? Yeah, that's um, an excellent question. Um, so really, I, I see it as like two primary areas of, of focus, with kind of the overarching goal being you know, broad growth of the network and the community itself without an eye towards 
turning a profit for the foundation, right? This is a nonprofit organization. We're not taking any equity investments or really taking the position to be picking winners. Uh, there's plenty of you know incredible innovation that's happening on Solana. Lots of competing projects. Lots of lots of new stuff. And the foundation really wants to position itself to support, really to kind of provide support equally for everyone in the ecosystem. And so one of the primary thrusts, um, one of our main like operational kind of focus points these days is really on growing the network itself from an infrastructure standpoint. Um, so that's really been my personal area of focus for uh, really a long time now is how can we get the most number of high quality validator operators, the most humans running the most number of nodes, um, be it validators or RPC nodes, which serve as the API endpoints or API gateways for applications using the Solana network. And to that end, the foundation has rolled out um, a number of programs really leveraging kind of the foundation's holdings of, of tokens, which are really allocated to grow the community and, and grow the network. Kind of as, as I see it, I don't know, maybe a bit of a personal tangent here. I originally started you know, engaging with Solana in early 2019. I was working on the engineering team at Solana Labs. And, you know, it was early stage startup. We hadn't even launched the testnet yet, you know, just kind of scrappy early days trying to get everyone to understand and like, hey, proof of history is a real thing. We're really going to prove out this tech. And one of the things that was really hard was trying to get people to to run validators. A lot of our early stage validators that helped us launch testnet for the very first time and, and get mainnet off the ground were a lot of them came from the Cosmos ecosystem. And so, you know, we have a lot of like these kind of OG longstanding validators who who really helped get the Solana network off the ground came from uh, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, right? I mean the Cosmos ecosystem was it brought so much innovation to the proof of stake uh, universe. And kind of where where this where this ties back to, like in early days, myself and a couple of the early labs employees, you know, in true startup fashion, we were actually uh, working out of one of the co-founders' basements, and we hand built the some of the first bare metal validators to run on the Solana network. You know, ordering parts on the internet, showing up in a bunch of boxes, and just you know going forward, kind of hacking on the hardware, trying to see what you know how much performance we can squeeze out of these you know individual machines. We went and installed them in a data center um, here in the Colorado area. And those nodes are still running today. Some of them are pointed at mainnet, some of them are testnet. And that was sort of the, I don't know, the genesis of, at least for me personally, a lot of my you know personal investment in seeing the growth of the validator ecosystem on Solana, having you know kind of physically hooked up and bootstrapped some of the first ones. And now having transitioned earlier this year to... Um, take on this role at the foundation, we maintain a program for anyone who wants to run a validator can engage with tier one data centers all over the world that the foundation has, we've really kind of went to bat for our validator community and helped a lot of these infrastructure providers understand that, yeah, it's it takes a lot of horsepower to run a node on Solana and it can be hard to get to get your hands on some of these machines. And so in working with some of these execs at some of these older school, I'll say more traditional telco or infrastructure oriented companies, helping them to understand the value of what a powerful and secure and distributed Solana infrastructure ecosystem looks like. That's really been 
really been an exciting kind of growth track, I think, for for the foundation and in, in helping to bring more hardware online and and helping more people to learn to run it and and you know get more nodes running and keep the network flying. Yeah, it, I, I love the parallels to um, the the Cosmos ecosystem being a, a the val- validator ecosystem being early early supporters of that because of course Tendermint is also notoriously. Uh, computationally intensive and runs on runs better on bare metal than cloud so it seems like a very natural validator group to to bring over in the early days uh, Lily from your from your view um, as 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 looking over the ecosystem what are the parts you see that are working really well in the Solana ecosystem what do you see are areas be it be it tooling Dan talked a little about infrastructure areas in which the the foundation can can make a difference and help evolving what I think is going quite well uh, right now is, um, you know, a lot of the the interest and the energy and kind of the inbound on various stakeholder community, uh, stakeholder groups within the community, right? So I think there's, um, you know, a lot of uh, excitement f- uh, from a general audience, also because it's very accessible to a general audience. Um, again, you know, as we were saying earlier, if it you know, costs dollars versus hundreds of dollars to mint an NFT. That's a very meaningful difference to many people. So I think the general awareness is, is, um, you know, it's been amazing. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, increased developer um, interest and accessibility. Um, And, you know, if you look at sort of uh, the hackathons that we've had probably every, you know, two or three months, three or four months in the ecosystem, um, the number of sort of... uh, people who are new to Web3 that are starting with Solana, um, I think is really impressive um, and has grown tremendously in a very short period of time, right? So we want to continue to extend that in various ways. Uh, And we've got a number of ideas as to sort of increasing the accessibility to even a retail audience, Um, uh, putting out sort of better documentation, better tooling um, to continue sort of onboard uh, both maybe existing Web3 developers who might be building in Solidity um, or on sort of an EVM type environment, as well as, you know, increasingly there's pretty substantial influx of folks coming over from Web2 and and thinking about where to get Get started and are starting off by making choices between, you know, essentially now it's really Solidity or Rust and Rust implicitly sort of Solana. And so I think that um, we can continue to invest in various ways of um, sort of helping people start within the Solana ecosystem. And I think that, um, you know, because Solana has grown so quickly in a very short period of time, there are also sort of, you know, ecosystem tools that are catching up right now. One thing that we hear a lot about is um, kind of indexing within Solana um, is something that we can probably improve as a community. Um, data data analytics on Solana, given that a lot of the applications are very sort of um, more consumer retail audience oriented um, is something that I think is also, you know, actively, actively being worked on. Um, and so those are some of the sort of near term things that people are thinking about, you know, obviously with the pretty tremendous growth of the ecosystem, also making it easier for people to run nodes, have access to baseline infrastructure. So that's also something we've invested tremendous resources on through, you know, data center partnerships. And uh, and it's, it's known that, you know, Solana has some higher hardware requirements, um, but we've invested a lot to try to take down those various barriers. So those are some of the things that we've been thinking about. Yeah. And I would, I would actually just kind of add to that. Some people do like to kind of harp on the interesting hardware requirements or, or, you know, high-end hardware requirements for, for Solana in the broad scope of things. Like, you know, when kind of the history is written about these sorts of things, it's like, this is going to be something that's in a number of years, or maybe even just a couple of years, like is going to run on whatever machine you want to plug in to your home. 
you know, we do have some validators that are running infrastructure out of their home. Um, some people choose to, you know, run in data centers. Some people do, God bless them, choose to run it in the cloud. But uh, yeah, I think to to Lily's point regarding the, you know, incredibly rapid growth of, of the Solana ecosystem, I think one area where we're really starting to, to dedicate more resources, particularly, you know, me personally and from the foundation side is on helping more people understand what Solana infrastructure really looks like. We've got, we've seen like tremendous resources and, you know, the developer relations team has like, there's, you know, put out like incredible resources for, you know, new developers for Web3, but the kind of tooling and community knowledge base of what does it take to run a good validator and and what does it mean to run a validator? Why should I care? I think has a little, a little ways to go in, in sort of advancing that narrative a little bit. In particular, to lower the barrier to entry from, oh, you must be a sysadmin or a DevOps expert to what I'd really love to see is like all of these Web3 teams and Web3 app developers who are having a great time enjoying Solana and building on Solana also um, participate in running the network that they so, you know, appreciate. So I'd love to see more community buy-in of teams that are vested in in their project being built on top of a working Solana to help Solana, you know, run. What we've seen, even in just the last couple of weeks or so, a number of these sort of NFT-based DAO communities that have popped up on Solana um, over the last six months or so have started really taking this message to heart and are launching their own validator, which is just really cool to see. I know, I think Monkey DAO was, uh, claims the title of first DAO to launch a validator on Solana. Um, I know the, uh, the DGen apes and the DGen community were, um, have also launched. And so it's just like really cool to see, you know, these, 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 these communities that really organically popped up around, you know, people enjoying NFTs and, and collecting these, you know, these cool art NFTs that, that kind of blew up on Solana this summer, now really starting to take a stake in, you know, the consensus and ownership and management of, of the network itself. Um, and so I'm really excited to, you know, to see that to start happen. And, you know, really something I want to, you know, hope that the foundation can foster. And it's just something I, I also um, am excited to see the community really kind of taking it into their own hands more. Yeah, I I, I kind of love that that you know it's so easy even a monkey can do it. It's kind of the uh, <laughs> the tagline That's there. Perfect. Um, and yeah. and yeah, the 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 DGen apes, which you know are are famous for having uh, probably the least technically successful NFT launch to ever have been done by any organization have now their own validator. So it's it's a good testament to how far we've come. It was incredible. I mean that that was just such a it was such a struggle. Um, you know, there were, there were all sorts of technical issues, you know, with, like with the Metaplex standard had, had recently rolled out, they had, you know, various challenges with the mints. And it was like this saga that, you know, we all kind of watched unfold, uh, you know, on Twitter and on all these channels over a number of days. And I got to give them credit. I mean, they, you know, like there were frustration, there was joy, there were, there were tears and like, you know, it came out with like one of the most unique, strong, enthusiastic, you know, communities on Solana having kind of like gone through the fire of of this, you know, rocky birth that was uh, the minting process. So, you know, more power to him. I just thought it was just so cool. Yeah, I love how that all gets constructed. So kind of along along those lines, like 
you, you uh, Dan, you came you came initially from Solana Labs. You were one of the early engineers in the ecosystem. You're you're now working at the foundation. What's that transition been like? How how closely do you still work with with people like Raj and Anatoly? What's that relationship like? Yeah, I think the working relationship. It's you know it's really interesting. There has been obviously you know Solana. The whole network was was built and originally launched. You know, all the all the code came out of Solana Labs. Um, you know, where Raj and Tolly run the organization, and yeah, they're obviously like major players in in the Solana ecosystem. This is you know, th- like the the vision and the hustle that they've really brought to the table um, has been instrumental in kind of getting the whole community and the whole Solana ecosystem and the tech stack to really where it is today. I think you know where we relate. Um, from the foundation is I, as sort of, you know, industry peers, I would say, you know, sure. I talk to Raj and Tolly. I talk with a lot of the ecosystem teams. I talk with, you know, our board and Lily and, you know, so many people that have an interest in, you know, Solana's success and the broadest terms. And that's really what the foundation is here to foster. So as we continue to, you know, grow and expand and evolve our kind of working relationships with, a lot of these organizations, I think, just continues to uh, to evolve and expand. And Mabel, looking at, at you, you mentioned a bunch of the work you were you were doing was was helping grow Solana in in new markets. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? And I think you know a lot of people, um, especially who who are not working in the region, um, you know, there, there's a lot of information around uh, whether cryptocurrency is going to be banned in India or China. Sort of how how do you view some of those approaches? Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll answer the first part of the questions. Um, I think it's going to be the same, pretty much the same line as what Lily and Dan just mentioned, but I'll, I'll kind of, you know, carve out those in, into details. Um, so I'd say, you know, at the beginning, you are also, you definitely need to engage a lot of these staking facilities. But these people here, it's, it's quite differentiated because many of them are running the mining pools, meaning the proof of work mining pools. Um, so I remember like back in the days, um, in 2019, 2020, like we were talking to a bunch of those, um, and happened to be that like, you know, a lot of those are just crashing their Wi-Fi in the office. It's pretty funny. You know, at the same time, like Dom, who's from Solana Labs, like we're trying to engage all of these mining pools and then we're, we're just giving out some, some of those GPUs. But I think, you know, that's like, like in the past, like now a lot of, a lot more validators are actually starting from East Asia. I think there's some problem with in the past, like with like you know your um, your location being far from um, the U.S., so that's like it's harder because Amazon Cloud and whatnot. But I think you know basically just like what Dan mentioned earlier, I think this will be a problem that can be solved in the future. So um, I thought that was a pretty interesting you know pretty interesting thing to to bootstrap at at the beginning. And then the other things like you know wallets and non custodial wallets, the custodial wallets, because I think you know for East Asian crypto. Like you can never kind of ignore the centralized parties and players, especially I think in the past 24 months, all the way till like the next 12 months or whatever. So I think, you know, a lot of those custodial wallets, including some of those exchanges, it was a lot of, you know, very pivotal work to try to engage them to support Solana, to support SPL, USDC, USDT, and a lot of the other, you know, stable coins. So I think, you know, those steps that we were able to achieve um, in the past year in order to get, you know, a lot of these centralized exchanges to support those, I think that's also pretty interesting. I think the other thing is that, you know, you just generally need to go to wherever, because like back in the days, like in 2018, 19, and 20, not that many groups are, are 
fully aware of like how Solana works or like, you know, even if it's like in Rust, I think people here, I'd say safely, were more familiar with um, things like Polkadot um, than Solana back in the days. So like talking to some of those developers and just tell them there's like a few different options and then go to some of the hackathons and or just like, you know, developer meetups or even just the Rust China conferences and then to promote about it. Like Justin Sterry, um, one year, like he spoke there. So a lot of these engagement um, opportunities definitely helped over the past two years for Solana to really get the winners here. Um, so I think, you know, that work still continue. And I, and I think, I believe that there will be a lot more um, application-focused developers coming over. You know, given, you know, from the history of Web2, you see um, a lot of infrastructure was built in the West, but then, you know, application-wise, actually quite a few of them came from the East. So I think, you know, for, for Solana, for anything that's like building on top of a smart contract platform, we could probably um, speculate on the same same track. Like, you know, you'll see a lot of people are going to build on top. Like now, once like all of these are, um, you know, available. I think one interesting thing is that um, for things like wallet, um, you have Phantom for browser. Because like, I think in the West, people are pretty used to using browser wallet. But I think here in the East, like, you know, you also need something that has like really good user experience and people like to go mobile first. And that's why like Slope Finance, which is one of the leading um, mobile wallet for Solana in, in China, like they um, were doing really well because like they understand the user behavior and all of those to, to deliver to the specific audience. So I thought, you know, this is like quite interesting how you will need to focus on specific areas, you know, the same thing for East and West, but then like you, you want to make sure that people get to have the best like culturally fitting um, choices for them so that like you can actually get it around. And then to answer the second part of the questions, so I actually the other day had a tweet about, you know, similar lines. So like there's a lot of Web2 venture capitals and then um, some of the other fund of funds are are trying to deploy money. And then we're asking like, it's still um, East Asia or like some of the the other places around like still relevant because of the policy. The way I read this is that crypto is really global. I understand that there are certain restrictions for developers to to issue cryptocurrencies, right, in, in China or in some of the other countries. However, I think the language circle and then user behavior, what I just mentioned, was always going to be, you know, something more pivotal than the actual restriction. So, like, these people will move to somewhere else in Asia, but they will continue to build. And then for people who want to use the kind of, you know, user experience for those products who are sitting here. So I think crypto liquidity is global, but user experience is always regional. And I think, you know, if you're growing an ecosystem, you can't ignore that. So I'd say like, I'm still very bullish. And I think people are recognizing, you know, all of these things are some of a lot of those things are just better built on Solana because it's higher performance. And then at the end, it's just about like how you make sure that you are compliant to the place that you're at and then like not definitely, you know, go with the compliance part, but then also like not hindering yourself building. Lily, Dan, do you have anything to, to add on growth and new new markets and that process? Yeah, on new markets, we started to invest in uh, building out the ecosystem in India uh, back in June and July. And, uh, you know, it's no secret there's extremely large, um, you know, both user bases and also developer communities, right? So um, I think in the most recent hackathon, um, the after the U.S., the second largest uh, contributor of developers, uh, developer submissions to the hackathon was from India. And I think Indonesia was in the top four as well, right? And so, you know, I think as we 
continue to look to Eastern Europe, for example, Latin America, Africa. Some of the some of the early narratives as to what applications would be unique uh, and sort of the 10x type of functionality on crypto, right, uh, have been talked about and written about for years, if not decades. Um, and, you know, for example, payment applications, right, uh, which become supercharged when you take DeFi functionality, global liquidity pools, and then make that adjacent to an actual, you know, potentially consumer transaction. Uh, and I think that that, to me, it's very clear that that's going to happen on Solana first. Um, and so, you know, what I'm particularly excited about is some of those seemingly sort of, you know, everyday type of transactions, but those actually becoming very unique. Um, when you, for example, can take a stable coin and uh, have a Venmo feeling type of transaction, right? Or a WeChat Pay feeling type of transaction, but it's actually fully decentralized, fully on-chain, and also comes with a potentially a suite of financial services that are kind of baked into the ecosystem adjacent to that. I think those are the types of things that are going to resonate um, hugely you know, in uh, emerging markets, in new markets. Um, and those are some of the things that um, I'm excited about, you know, maybe exploring in new markets. Yeah, I, I do love how sort of culturally infectious the crypto mindset is, that to, to use a network, you also have to be an owner of the network. Um, and that, that the success of the network and the success of you as a user are, are tied in a way that they're really not in the setup of a, of a stock corporation or something along those lines. These things are... You can sort of think of these things in some ways as giant digital co-ops that that are all working towards this goal. So it's a uh, it's really interesting to to kind of hear that, and I'm I'm really curious to see in the future how that starts influencing culture. I mean, I think we're already seeing crypto just barely start to influence culture, and you know that might that might take off a bit in the future. Be interesting to see. I think I think it is, and I think you know what's uh, under the surface with crypto, um, but what rapidly rises to the surface is that, uh, you know, it's been you know, talked about, written about philosophically for a very, very long time, this whole idea of, you know, a veil of ignorance, that your opportunity set is determined in large part sort of where you're geographically born today, um, rather than, you know, who you are as a person and what's in your heart and what's in your mind, right? And with crypto, you sort of have this radical accessibility, right? It's almost sort of, you know, radical equality, if you will, in a way that we haven't really observed in a long time. And so I think that's really upending in so many different ways. And and that, you know, for me is a big part of why I continue to be interested in cryptocurrency um, and also why I think Solana is really going to be at the forefront of that because all of those sorts of ideas, the accessibility, the sort of the, the very concept of why Web3 is important and, you know, where people are most likely to get started on that um, today is, you know, the, the sort of general awareness funnels, people will hear about Bitcoin, right? They'll learn about Bitcoin. They'll learn about, you know, store of value and people will resonate with that. Your average person will resonate with that because it sounds so much like digital gold, right? But then once they start to learn about Bitcoin, they're like, okay, you know, I've bought it. I get it. Um, it's kind of, you know, like gold for the digital age. What's next? Well, you know, can I do defund Bitcoin? Eh, no, not really. You know, like Lightning, we've been talking about it since 2015, like soon, right? Uh, and then very quickly from there, people move on to, okay, well, Ethereum, well, that, that's really amazing. Um, these sort of new applications and like I, you know, have some friends who bought NFTs and then they click a button and it's like $100 later. Gosh, oh, that was, you know, that was, that was uh, painful, right? Uh, and I think that's kind of what what a number of people have gone through so far. And then uh, and so people sort of get onboarded to, you know, why this is important, why this is really sort of very exciting and part of the future. And then eventually what I've seen is so many people sort of end up with uh, 
um, with being in the Solana ecosystem. So I guess what I'm excited about is accelerating that and maybe making it a little bit less of a circuitous journey. I have a story to share related to what we were talking about here. So I think, you know, like now all of these protocols are starting to talk about Shopify type of experience, which is like you have an underlying protocol and then you just have different front ends, right? Like you just hose a different way. So it's actually not just for the culture purpose. So one story was um, shared by Roniel, who's the co-founder of Audius, you know, last week with me. He was saying that he realized because like Audius is actually not, I think the main front end was not allowed in China at some point. But then somebody actually set up a separate front end that's actually come and filter out and then based on whatever the local compliance should be like you know let let the whole thing run so that front end actually works so like he was exactly kind of explaining to me how he was amazed by you know audience should be the underlying protocol and then it should be de- determined by the front end itself on the on the ground like you know what to feature versus not and everybody can have their own choices like you know that's a freedom choice like no, nobody's gonna question that so i thought that was like really amazing it's definitely be- beyond just kind of like you know i think this is really relevant to what we were talk- talking about earlier because i think for solana it's the same thing right a lot of the things it may not be compliant for a certain reason in the region but i think it, at the end it's about the front end it's not about the protocol the protocol should be permissionless anyone else can just do whatever they want but, you know, for the ones that you want to make it work for a certain region, you can just do that. So I thought that was really, really amazing and very unique about crypto. Yeah, I, I love that. Um, the, that sort of view that because of the financial incentives of crypto, you can decouple the application layer from the protocol layer. That those two things can be separate. I mean, this is, in some ways, this is the dream of Twitter, right? We had this like glorious like few years where there were all these Twitter clients and then it all got, because the app engine was introduced, it all got consolidated down to twitter.com and the Twitter mobile apps and, you know, RIP all of our, our favorite Twitter clients from back in the day. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love that, that the way this technology is built, it allows you to really separate those two things at origin, as opposed to having to think about the business models that support that over the long term. I would actually add, I think there's interesting things happening, like both in the decoupling of that, like you said, the application and the protocol layer, but also an interesting sort of coupling there, um, kind of to Lily's point about this, you know, shared ownership of the you know, of the success of the project. And that's really this kind of shared ownership of the network is really the kind of core underpinning, this core idea that underpins this idea of of staking on on a proof of stake network, which is, your success is tied to the success and this and really the security of of the network. And what we're starting to see now are applications and DeFi applications, particularly stake pools that have recently launched on Solana, that really bring the ability to participate in the shared security and shared ownership of the network to the application layer. So there have been a bunch of community-launched stake pools. There's some some private stake pools. Um, The foundation is in the process of transitioning its entire treasury over to stake pools, which are really this, you know, I think we did a whole podcast episode on this recently, so I won't won't belabor the technical details here. Um, But basically, it gives people an, an easy way to enter and exit from a liquid position, which is actively helping to secure the network via staking to various validators in the underlying smart contract. But what I think is really interesting about this is we're starting to see these public stake pools that pop up, Marinade, Finance, Jpool, Socian, Lido, um, and a few others that are really bringing the application 
experience that that really slick fast you know fast and cheap uh you know promise of what does it feel like to just use a useful service built on top of solana and oh how cool that a normal user can transact in these stake pool tokens rather than you know unstaked soul and i think we recently saw the first there was an nft sale or an nft mint that was accepting stake pool tokens, uh, you know, staked soul positions rather than unstaked soul. So we're starting to see this adoption of people who are not only just developing apps and playing around on the application layer, but also recognizing that there's tremendous value in, you know, sort of moving the denominator of, of, of how we transact value on Solana to be pegged to the participation of security, of, of securing the network itself. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really great point. So looking forwards, right, looking into this this year of 2022, what are what are the things that you see in Web3 and crypto that have potential that could become trends that are going to advance and, and increase? Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of start out one of one of my big ones that, that I think is we're going to see a lot of the sort of tech ish companies uh, adopting decentralized Web3 technologies as a competitive advantage to compete with a lot of vertically integrated companies. So I think you're going to see a lot in payroll, you're going to see a lot in merchant payments, concert tickets, these sort of these companies that don't have platform scale are going to look to Web3 as as a competitive advantage. And you might see that that roll into the rest of the ecosystem. Um, Dan, I'm curious kind of what your what your thoughts are, and we'll just go around the room here. Yeah, I think um... I think you're spot on there, Austin. Um, you know, and I think one of the things that's really going to help unlock that is these sort of higher levels of abstraction of developer tooling and more sort of almost like enterprise API access, if you will, to provide a more web two like interface experience that someone could just plug in and it's it's Solana as a service, right? There's your SaaS for 2022. Um, and it's it's instant settlement in stable coins on Solana, but no one needs to worry about the fact that it's a stable coin on Solana, it's, you know, they integrate this API and the money transfers or the, the token transfers from, you know, merchant to customer or vendor to seller, whoever, immediately. So I think that starting to see people using crypto and using blockchain without realizing that they're using a blockchain technology. Lily, what are your 2022 predictions? I think uh, industry-wide, um I'm with you that Web3 is going to st- become the starting point uh, rather than uh, sort of the periphery, right? I think that um, we're well on our way where Web3 is going to sort of foment this decentralized center. And I think that um, there's a few things that are sort of going to happen alongside, in my perspective. Um, one is this kind of movement towards multi-chain slash interchain future is just accelerating. Um, I think that there's um, a few sort of different uh you know, constellations within the ecosystem. There's clearly sort of the EVM world, right? Um, uh, which you know we're going to have a uh, connection to through Neon EVM. Um, there's uh, a lot of sort of obviously energy within Solana. Um, there are some other, you know, IBC. We talked about Cosmos a little bit as probably another sort of approach within that, and then connectors within these. Uh, and so I think there's you know various foci that are going to emerge there, and increasingly there's going to be sort of uh, those sort of layer ones are actually, I think, going to be abstracted away over time, as they probably should be when you talk about sort of appeal to your average person. I think that um, another theme that I see emerging is um, as more institutions 
organizations want to get into this and you know, compliance with existing regulatory frameworks, um, institutional KYC, and uh, and tooling to allow institutions to participate in decentralized liquidity pools, which I think is going to be pretty exciting. And and so that's where you know the existing world is actually going to start getting onboarded in earnest into Web three. So that's going to be quite interesting. I think with that, um, there's a big theme around a sort of identity and privacy and on-chain identity and, you know, having uh, having a little bit more control over your data on-chain is uh, is another big thing, the theme that's going to evolve. And then, you know, certainly in the consumer area, um, I think that NFTs went from being, you know, a very analog sort of digital representation of physical art uh, and have now morphed into basically being the entry point into sort of Web3 communities and metaverse and these kind of, you know, almost like new communities, dare I say, like civilizations that are starting to that are starting to sprout online. And so those are some of the, you know, from the more institutional to the more consumer. I think there's just so much uh, happening out there that's all really just going to continue to develop at a rapid pace in 2022. And Mabel, what do you see for 2022? Yeah, so I'd like to maybe talk a little bit more about the application as the middleware layer, um, you know, especially the crypto native ones. We've seen a lot of DeFi activities 2020, 2021 um, for on Solana specifically because like people like how you know fast is like transactions are, are like. But I think what's more excited, you know, also something that I've been spending a lot of time um, thinking about and then exploring is that um, the actual kind of Web3 application experience. What does that mean? So like, people have been talking about like metaverse, so to speak, for a long time, but you know, the things are, you know, people can do beyond finance is never really happening before. But I think, you know, there are, we've seen, you know, from a lot of the recent hackathons that you have address to address IM protocols, you have some of the um, Web3 social graph where you can just basically have the relationship you with another person and another, some of the other, you know, things like OpenSea collections or some of the other things that you did. And then you also have things like on-chain credentialing protocols. All of these, we are seeing them happening on Solana. And then with all of these composable with each other, you can actually see that like, you know, you have relationship between people in a game, for example, or like, you know, for when you bootstrap a new application with the social graph, like you can actually customize the front page that you push to um, the, the users based on these social graph because like, you have all those data. Obviously, what Liddy said about privacy preservation was very, very important. Like you don't want to share everything, which kind of like, you know, it's kind of against the purpose. But I think the idea is that, you know, for Web3, you own the data. So like you are the one who approve the blockchain or whoever else to access your data of, of, of all these. And then you control like whether you approve someone to be your public connected contact. And then things like on-chain credentials, like you can prove like what are some of your achievements, um, you know, based on the your contribution off-chain, like, you know, a Discord uh, discussion or things like, you know, whatever you've provided liquidity in the past for a certain period of time, or like you just basically um, voted every single time in the community snapshots. So all of these becomes your kind of on-chain resumes or on-chain badges that can, you know, later on can help whatever you are prioritize into a community. It's the such thing we call a gated community. So I think all of these are coming together. We're going to see like actual consumer experience available on Solana. I thought that was extremely exciting because I, I think, you know, with all of these enable, people will have, you know, no difference of experience compared to some of the other Web2 um, application experience. So I thought that's going to be very huge. 
Well, uh, thank you all for for joining us today. This was, uh, I think it's it's really it's fun to talk about some of these things that are not quite as as pressing as user facing um, that developers aren't picking up and doing, but are are nonetheless uh, you know integral to to the network and its growth and its future. And I think it's really fun to talk with the you know the names and and some of the people behind the Solana Foundation. So thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us, Austin. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks a lot.